0: Talking benefits, 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 talking, 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 benefits. You're listening
1: to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month we dive into retirement, health care, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held.
2: I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits.
1: And here we are. Another year
0: is ending. Okay, how on earth does a year come and go so quickly, even in the midst of something as unsettling as a global
2: pandemic? It's just the perennial mystery of life, but here in the benefits world, there doesn't seem to be a slow year ever. Lots happened this year. We are taking a look at the top benefit stories of the past year.
3: Okay, so before we get started, I wanted to do something a little fun. Hi listeners, this is Amanda, the editor behind Talking Benefits. This is our 50th episode, and to mark the occasion, I thought we could do something fun. You might remember that in our very first episode, we got to know our hosts a little better with some random questions. So I've come up with some more random questions for the hosts and our producers, and these all revolve around the number 50. And you're at the top uh, left of my Zoom screen, so I'm going to let you kick us off why don't you pick a number between one and 12? Oh my, eight. Okay, if you could only ever read the first 50 pages of any book, which book would you choose and why?
2: I think The Great Gadsby, it's my favorite. It's my go-to, like puts me in a good mood when I just need a lift, a lot of good imagery in there, a lot of good symbolism to kind of get my brain going. All right, Justin,
3: number one through 12, that's not eight. Three. Three. If you could have 50 of anything in the world, what would it be?
1: Holy cow. 50 of anything in the world. Um, If I were to
3: give you 50 of one thing right now, what would you want?
1: I would take 50 vacation days. And I I would check out the rest of the national parks in the country.
3: Wonderful. All right,
0: Julie. I will take number four.
3: If you could spend 50 days anywhere, where would it be?
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I think Hawaii. I think Hawaii. I love it there. I love it there. I don't, it's funny. I don't surf. I'm not going to climb diamond head, nothing like that. But I, I would go to the big Island of Hawaii and be there for 50 days. I I think that's a good choice. It's beautiful. (laughs) Okay. And our producer Rose is with
3: us. So Rose, why don't you take a number as well? Uh, My favorite number six, please. Okay what food do you wish only had a mere 50 calories?
4: Pizza. Absolutely pizza. During the pandemic, my husband and I, I think single-handedly kept our favorite pizza shop open and you can tell it has more than 50 calories.
3: (laughs) What's on your perfect pizza? Sub, Sub question. What is on your perfect pizza?
4: Well, because we frequented it so much, I had to change my order several times so I wouldn't get sick of it. But our standard order is spicy sausage, pepperoni, and pesto sauce in addition to the tomato sauce.
3: That sounds delicious.
4: It is. What are your 50 favorite pizza toppings? Go. (laughs) Well, those three. Memorized? I think I would eat anything. I would. I will even eat the pineapple and ham pizza. Probably anchovies is the only one I would cross off the list.
3: Okay. I do have several more questions uh, if you all want to do that again, or we can uh, just move on to the actual episode and stop putting you on the spot.
2: Let's do one more round. Okay. So again,
3: one through 12, and we've crossed off three, four, six, and eight. Sure. Five, please. What TV show do you wish had at least 50
2: seasons? Oh, Schitt's Creek. Hands down. Love it. A group of us a couple years ago from the foundation on Halloween, all dressed up like characters from that show. And Dan Levy, who stars in it, uh, featured one of our photos on his Instagram stories that day. So we were very excited. It's so well done, very entertaining and lifts my spirits.
3: Agreed. And also a little starstruck and jealous of your Instagram fame. I would be as well. It's pretty exciting. All right, Justin. Um, Let's go with 12. Would you rather have $50 or 50 friends?
1: Probably friends. Um, Before the pandemic, that may have been different. But now that we've been all locked in our homes for a year and a half, let's, let's go with the friends. Friends are more important than one specific dollar.
3: Well, and plus 50 friends will buy you a lifetime of memories, whereas $50 only gets you... $50 worth of
4: something, $50 gets you two pizzas. So I would have chosen the dollars.
3: (laughs) All right, I will pick number one. If you could travel in time, would you visit the year 2050,
1: 1950,
3: 1850, 1750? Or would you pick a different 50?
0: Hmm, that's kind of interesting. I don't have to stay there, right? I can just visit and come back.
3: Assuming that time travel is a thing. Yes, you can travel between time
0: periods. (laughs) Okay, then I think I would maybe go back to, let's go to 1750. I think I'd just like to see what it was like back then. However, I would not want to live back then without things like flush toilets. So I would want to be able to come back, but I would like to see that.
3: When you said you'd
0: like to see how it was,
3: I was going to say unhygienic. <laughs> Correct. <Just a> guess. All <laughs> <laughs> right, Rose, you're rounding us out. Uh, I think nine is available. Yes. You're hosting a dinner party for 50 guests. What? Are that would questions?
4: never happen. Next question. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll pretend.
3: I'll just ask you a different question. Or that's your answer, you know? <laughs> Question asked, question answered. <laughs> give me number 10. What topic would, could you give an impromptu 50-minute presentation on?
4: Um, I could give a 50-minute presentation on any Real Housewives franchise. So if you wanted to talk about Beverly Hills or Ultimate Girls Trip or Atlanta or Potomac or Orange County or New York, I could give you a presentation on the history of the show. I've seen every episode of every season. And for that matter, if I was hosting a dinner party of 50 people, it would be the 50 housewives. That would be the only dinner party I would host. <laughs> 50 of my favorite housewives.
3: I feel like there'd be a lot of flipped tables.
4: Only if we invited Teresa Judice.
1: It sounds like we have the next year of the podcast planned out too. Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> <a pretty> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for playing along. I just, I couldn't in my heart of hearts let this momentous occasion go by without doing something to market. So. Thank That's you for perfect. planning it. It was a fun surprise.
2: Mm-hmm. Good idea. Is everyone ready? Yep. We are taking a look at the top benefit stories of the past year. Plus, we will give our best attempt at making some predictions for 2022.
0: Now, some years we're not all that close on our predictions, but I think this year was maybe a little bit better for us. So we will keep the tradition going.
1: All right, so let's start here with our 2021 predictions. Let's see how we did.
2: Our first prediction last year was that COVID vaccines would be widely available at some point, and that employers would be seeking answers to lots of questions surrounding mandates, religious and health exceptions, costs, and offering the shots on site. We called it right on this one. Vaccines were on everyone's mind in 2021. The first vaccines given in the U.S. were to healthcare workers, and those were provided in mid-December of 2020. Rollout was not smooth, but it moved forward, first for older Americans, then to those with underlying health conditions, and then in mid-April of 2021 to all American adults. Boosters became available in the fall, with those available to all American adults in mid-November.
0: Now, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC, confirmed in mid-December 2020 that employers could mandate their employees be vaccinated against COVID in order to enter the workplace without violating discrimination laws like the ADA, GINA, and Title VII. Employees who have a medical condition can request an exception under the ADA, and those with a religious objection can request an exception under Title VII. And employers can request uh, a proof of
1: vaccination without violating HIPAA, uh, but these records must remain confidential, and they must be stored separately from other personnel records uh, under HIPAA as well as the ADA.
2: The EEOC has also clarified that employers can offer incentives for their employees to get vaccinated without violating the ADA and GINA. Incentives can be cash or gift cards, extra paid or unpaid time off, gifts and free products, etc.
0: Now, as for costs... The CARES Act requires non-grandfathered group health plans and health insurance issuers offering non-grandfathered group or individual health insurance coverage to cover, without cost-sharing requirements, any qualifying COVID preventive service, including vaccinations. Now, the vaccines are paid for by the federal government, and if there is a cost incurred for administering the vaccination... No cost can be passed on to employees.
2: Last December, we were pondering whether or not employers would be offering the vaccinations on site at the workplace. While some workplaces did, practicality is limited how many did unless the employer is in the healthcare field or contracted with a mobile unit provider. As we know, two of the vaccinations require extremely cold storage, and many employers were still working remotely when the vaccines were rolled out in the first half of 2021.
1: And currently, all eyes are on the OSHA Emergency Temporary Standard that was published on November 5th. Uh, This ETS requires covered employers with 100 or more employees to develop, implement, and enforce a mandatory COVID-19 vaccination policy unless they adopt a policy requiring employees to choose to either be vaccinated or undergo regular COVID-19 testing and also wear a face covering at work. Uh, The ETS requires that employers provide paid leave of up to four hours for an employee to get the vaccination if they go during a workday and paid time off if they have an adverse reaction and do not have available paid sick or PTO time. If testing is part of the policy, the employer does not have to pay for the test under the ETS uh, unless it is required by other laws or by a collective bargaining agreement.
0: Now, the original deadlines were December 6th for most of the requirements, including having a policy in place, and January 4th for employees to be vaccinated or start testing. However, the ETS has generated numerous court challenges across 12 different appeals courts. On November 12th, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals stayed the standard and ordered that OSHA, quote, take no steps to implement or enforce the ETS until further court order, unquote. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals has been selected to hear the case via a lottery. The Sixth Circuit was asked by the Biden administration to lift the stay, And they have not done this as of the time of this recording. They were asked to expedite the briefing process and they declined that. They were also asked to transfer the case to another district and they declined that as well. No hearing date has yet been set. Uh, Some experts speculate that no matter what their decision is, this issue may end up in front of the U.S. Supreme Court.
1: And uh, obviously we're past uh, that first deadline date of December 6th, Uh, so the stay and the court challenges uh, are causing employer uncertainty as what to do and when to do it.
2: And then add it to the latest, on December 8th, the Senate passed a Congressional Review Act joint resolution that would rescind OSHA's ETS. The House hasn't moved to do the same yet, and it seems unlikely that it would pass there. But if it did pass, it seems that President Biden would veto such a resolution.
0: And there is more. On December 6th, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced vaccine mandate for private sector employers to take effect on December 27th. All private sector employers, regardless of size, will need to comply. All employees working in a workplace located in the city will have to have at least one vaccination by the 27th, and there is not a testing option in lieu of a vaccination. So it'll be really interesting to see if this uh, citywide mandate will hold, and if other communities will issue similar mandates.
2: Yeah, it'll be interesting to follow and just to see what happens with this over the next few weeks.
1: So next up, last year we were watching to see what would happen in the illegal case, California versus Texas. Uh, Would the Affordable Care Act survive the Supreme Court? Oral arguments had been heard in October of 2020. The case dealt with ACA's minimum coverage provision, also known as the individual mandate. At issue were three points. Did the plaintiffs have standing to sue? Did reducing the individual mandate penalty to $0 at the end of 2017 make this ACA provision unconstitutional? And if yes, did that make the entire ACA unconstitutional? Or could the mandate provision be severed from the law? Uh, The decision was announced June 17th and upheld ACA by a vote of 7 to 2. The court ruled that Texas and the individual plaintiffs did not have standing to bring the lawsuit challenging the individual mandate because they had not shown a past or future injury from the $0 individual mandate. In short, uh, the ruling allowed the ACA to remain in effect as is. Uh, And if you're interested in reading more about the case uh, and the decision, Please check out our colleague Amanda Wilkie's blog post from June 17th of this year and Julie's explainer post uh, from the previous November as well. Check out the show notes for links to both of those Word on Benefits blog posts.
0: So the next item on our watch list was the final rules surrounding healthcare coverage transparency. As of last December, the Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, had spelled out requirements for group health plans and health insurance issuers in the individual and group markets to disclose to participants in-network provider negotiated rates, historical out-of-network provider allowed amounts, drug pricing information, and cost-sharing information. The information to be disclosed would include an estimate of the individual's cost-sharing liability for covered items or services furnished by a medical provider. This information is meant to help an individual comparison shop, The agencies indicate that such comparison shopping may increase provider competition and consumer demand for lower prices. While the rule itself became effective on January 11th of 2021, implementation deadlines for these provisions were to fall between 2022 and 2024. With the incoming Biden administration, we were wondering whether these rules would stay or would they go. So what's the latest?
2: The rules are still in place, though the deadlines have been pushed. Parts of the rule were to begin January 1st, 2022. That has now been delayed to July 1st of 2022. At that time, most group health plans and health insurance insurers will begin posting pricing information for covered items and services. More requirements will go into effect starting on January 1st, 2023 and January 1st, 2024. So this is probably something we will need to address in our 2022 year in review.
1: And one more last watch list item, maybe something we'll want to address next December as well, retirement plan legislation. So last year, we reminded our listeners that when the Bipartisan Secure Act passed in December of 2019, uh, there was some unfinished business that was left, some provisions that did not make it into the law. So new Secure Act bipartisan legislation has been introduced in the House in 2020 that would have taken up some of that, quote, unfinished business provisions that would change the age for required minimum distributions from 72 to 75, further expanding automatic enrollment, increasing the savers credit, increasing catch-up limits, and allowing for employer matching contributions into 401k plans when participants are paying down their student loans. We thought we might see some movement on that bill in 2021. Uh, While the bill passed the House in May of that year, it went no further. Some provisions, like the Savers Credit expansion, were in earlier versions of the uh, Biden administration's social spending bill, Build back better, uh, but they were removed before the bill passed the House on November 19. Other bipartisan retirement provisions were never even placed in the bill, because that bill did not look like it was going to get uh, enough bipartisan support. The lawmakers who support these provisions like Senators Portman and Cardin and Representatives Neil and Brady uh, may try again in 2022, uh, although the mid-year elections may prove to be a distraction. And we will be back uh, after this short commercial break.
2: International Foundation e-learning courses deliver top-quality instruction in a convenient, self-paced format. Developed by industry experts, each online course provides a one-of-a-kind learning experience allowing you to learn whenever and wherever fits your schedule. I just learned that nerd enthusiast and talking benefits producer Rose's favorite course is ERISA, but hopefully you'll be able to find your own favorite course. Through December 31st, get 25% off when you purchase any e-learning courses and you'll get 180 days to complete them. Visit ifebp.org elearning to learn more about the 35 courses we offer And enter code SAVE25 at checkout to take advantage of this great deal. That's SAVE25.
0: Okay, so this is uh, the part in the episode where we traditionally move on to the big stories from the past year. One of the ones that we just covered was really big news for 2021 the ACA Supreme Court decision. So let us talk about other big stories for 2021. Justin?
1: Thank you, Julie. So uh, one of the biggest benefit stories in 2021 was the passage of the American Rescue Plan Act in March. Uh, The main provisions involved COBRA subsidies for uh, health coverage, uh, multi-employer special financial assistance for pension plan funding, uh, single employer pension plan funding, tax credits for paid leave, and an increase in the pre-tax contribution limit for uh, dependent care assistance programs. Uh, Some of these provisions were short-term and have already ended, uh, but the pension funding provisions and DCAP limits are still in play. Uh, So rather than delve into these provisions, uh, I would suggest that you take a listen to our ARPA episode from this past May.
2: And I'll quickly mention that since we recorded that episode this past May, In July, the PBGC released guidance on the multi-employer plan special financial assistance in the form of an interim final rule and FAQs.
0: Okay, so our next topic is cybersecurity. Not a new topic by any stretch, uh, but one that needed lots of attention in 2021. The year saw plenty of ransomware cases and data hacks publicized.
1: Yeah, and uh, employers have been buying uh, cyber insurance and teaching their employees about the dangers of phishing, that's phishing with a PH, for years. HIPAA security rules have been on the books for several years. We know that employers and plan sponsors have a fiduciary duty to protect their plans, as well as their participants' personally identifiable information and protected health information. So what was new in 2021? Well, two things were new.
0: The first was guidance released by the Department of Labor's Employee Benefits Security Administration, or EBSA. 2021 was certainly not the first year that they've expressed concern about benefit and retirement plans cybersecurity, but this was uh, the year that they released, in April, 12 Best Practices for a Cybersecurity Program. The 12 include tasks and processes like third-party audits, strong access control procedures, cybersecurity awareness training for staff, data encryption, and the need for an effective business resiliency program addressing business continuity, disaster recovery, and incident response. Rather than list all 12 here, we will put a link uh, to the best practices in the show notes. And what was the second, Julie? So, another reason to be attuned to this issue is that EBSA is auditing plans and their cybersecurity programs. Now, these audits reportedly started in June, a pretty short time after they issued their guidance in April, and also reportedly caught plan sponsors off guard. In their list of best practices, EBSA mentions what they're looking for in an effective cybersecurity audit, namely audit reports audit files, penetration test reports, and supporting documents, and any other analyses or review of the party's cybersecurity practices by a third party, as well as documented corrections of any weaknesses identified in the independent third party analyses. So, Julie, the takeaway from this section is,
1: uh, as a fiduciary, pay attention to cybersecurity. Yep, indeed.
2: Okay, moving on to the next issue. We were lucky enough to recently host Stephanie Patrick. She is a senior consulting actuary for Horizon Actuarial Services, LLC. For our November Talking Benefits episode, Stephanie updated us on mental health and substance use disorder parity in benefits. Now, this topic was timely in 2021 for several reasons, but the main concern for employers are the new documentation requirements brought on by the Consolidated Appropriations Act, or CAA. Comparative analysis of quantitative treatment limits, or QTL, was included in the CAA. Lots of acronyms, as always, because we're talking benefits. So as I understand, this was not a change in what plans have to cover, but it ended up adding documentation requirements to the plans. Now plans must provide comparative analysis upon request, and the deadline for that was February 10th of 2021. The DOL is taking these rules quite seriously. So it's important for plans to stay compliant. The DOL names violators in an annual report. Um, so, naughty list for orgs who don't comply and have that comparative analysis at the ready. So, suggest going back, listening to that November episode if you're interested in learning more on this.
1: So for our next topic, in last year's year in review episode, uh, we discussed the increased offering and utilization of telemedicine due to the pandemic. And at the risk of repeating ourselves, we decided to include uh, telemedicine again this year. So the ongoing pandemic and the staggered rollout of the vaccine meant that telemedicine was critically important in 2021 as well. According to our COVID survey at the one-year mark, which was conducted in May of 2021, 14% of respondents added telemedicine coverage for uh, physical health due to the pandemic, uh, while 27% added telemedicine for mental health, also known as telepsychiatry. We then asked the respondents who had added these coverages if they were going to keep them in place for 2022 and beyond. 54% of those adding telemedicine for physical health and 63% of those who uh, had added telepsychiatry said that changes were permanent. Uh, So in short, uh, telemedicine has shown that it works and it is here to stay for the long run.
0: So the last item in this section, in June 2020, the U.S. Supreme Court issued its decision in the case Bostock versus Clayton County that the prohibition of sex discrimination under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act includes sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, while the legal case focused on employment issues like hiring and termination, Attorneys have been looking at the impact on employee benefits because benefits are also protected under Title VII. Experts suggest that employers look at coverage under their benefit plans to ensure non-discrimination, such as dependent coverage for same-sex spouses or domestic partners if opposite-sex spouses or domestic partners are covered. Limits cannot be lower and cost-sharing can't be higher.
2: Julie, what about the Affordable Care Act's Section 1557?
0: Now, that is a great question, Anne. Uh, Section 1557 says that an individual cannot be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination based on Title VII under any health program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Now, there was a lot of studying over time to determine the entities that were covered by this section of ACA. Now, it's generally been determined that fully insured health plans are covered entities under this section, while self-funded plans may not be. Section 1557 itself has had its share of regulatory backing and forthing, uh, largely around what constitutes sex discrimination. This past May, the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights, or OCR, announced that, consistent with the Bostock decision, they will interpret and enforce Section 1557's prohibition on sex discrimination to include discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And
1: uh, similar to this topic, uh, in our research work, uh, we've been asking employers and plan sponsors to tell us if and how they're covering uh, gender affirmation benefits for transgender individuals. Uh, 21% of respondents to our biennial benefits benchmarking survey conducted in 2020 told us that they offer some sort of gender affirmation benefits. For example, uh, 18% offered uh, gender affirmation surgery, uh, 17% offered prescription drug therapies, and 19% offered mental health counseling pre and or post-surgery.
0: Now, I'll be really interested to see if those percentages go up when we conduct this survey again in 2022 based on the Bostock decision.
1: Absolutely. Very much looking forward to that.
2: Well, not to rush us through the rest of 2021, but let's take a look at what's coming for 2022. Julie, do you want to kick us off here?
0: Sure. Uh, so let's start with a piece of legislation that is up in the air at this time when we're recording, and it could potentially pass yet this year or in 2022, or frankly, not at all. Now, it seemed to fit better in our 2022 watch list than in the 2021 year in review, because even if it does pass yet in 2021, the impact won't be felt until 2022.
2: All right. That was quite the setup, Julie. (laughs) Interested in hearing what it actually is.
0: (laughs) I was trying to be mysterious. It was very mysterious. It is H.R. 5376, uh, better known as the Build Back Better legislation, which is also known as the budget bill. This bill has had lots of ups and downs over the past few months. The bill represents the social framework that President Biden has been promoting And it's undergone quite a bit of change as House Democrats have negotiated with Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to make sure that the version they passed would also pass the Senate. And just as a reminder, uh, the bill is
1: being put forward as a uh, budget reconciliation bill. So this would allow it to pass the Senate uh, with a simple majority. Uh, However, uh, Senator Manchin is reportedly still questioning the cost of the bill. Therefore, the bill may not pass the Senate as is.
0: That's right, Justin.
2: So what is currently in the bill?
0: Now, the latest version of the bill as passed by the House on November 19th, it includes four weeks of federal paid family and medical leave that would start in 2024, child care subsidies, an extension of the higher child tax credit and expanded earned income tax credit. Elimination of the temporary suspension of the exclusion for qualified bicycle commuting benefits with an increase of the maximum benefit from $20 per month to $81 per month. It was kind of interesting to see that one come back. We've talked about that on past episodes. Extension of higher ACA subsidies, Medicare hearing benefits, monthly co-pay caps of $35 for insulin starting in 2023, prescription drug rebates to Medicare, Medicare prescription drug pricing negotiations starting in 2025, a cap on Medicare Part D out-of-pocket costs at $2,000 per year, and workforce development grants. Now, the bill contains some retirement plan provisions generally impacting wealthy defined contribution plan account holders, such as required minimum distributions for those who have $10 million or more in their retirement accounts, and changes to Roth contributions and conversions.
2: Justin mentioned earlier when we were discussing Secure Act 2.0 that bipartisan retirement legislative provisions were dropped from the Build Back Better bill or weren't even included. Was anything else dropped?
0: Yeah. Some other things that were removed include the free community college and Medicare vision and dental benefits.
2: Okay. Well, it'll be interesting to see what stays or goes from the bill and if it'll even pass.
0: Yes, and especially with the prescription drug pricing provisions. As we've discussed in previous episodes, there's been bipartisan support for prescription drug cost reforms. So uh, moving on
1: to our next topic, for decades, there's been debate about including socially responsible investments in defined benefit and or defined contribution plans, Uh, whether it was called social investing, economically targeted investments, uh, impact investing, green investing or even environmental, social, and governance, or ESG investing. The main issue, uh, just speaking in broad terms here, is the same. Can socially conscious criteria for investing uh, be considered along with financial criteria for benefit and retirement plan investing, where an ERISA fiduciary standard is in place? Over the decades, guidance has been issued by the DOL. And there has been some backing and
0: forthing on that, and recently.
1: Yeah, that's right, Julie. In October of 2020, uh, the DOL under the Trump administration released financial regulations for considering investments for ERISA plans. Um, The rules required plan fiduciaries to select investments and investment courses of actions based on pecuniary factors. That is uh, any factor that the responsible fiduciary prudently determines is expected to have a material effect on risk and or return of an investment based on appropriate investment horizons, consistent with the plan's investment objectives and funding policy. Uh, So what does that mean? Uh, In short, financial considerations. While experts were debating what constituted pecuniary factors and discussed how ESG would be curtailed, the administration changed. Uh, The Biden administration earmarked this regulation for review. In October of 2021, EBSA released a proposed rule that would remove barriers to plan fiduciaries' ability to consider climate change and other environmental, social, and governance factors uh, when they select investments and exercise shareholder rights. Uh, The proposed rule also addresses selecting qualified default investment alternatives, exercising shareholder rights such as proxy voting, Uh, and the use of written proxy voting policies and guidelines. The rules reflect President Biden's executive orders from January and May uh, that address climate-related financial concerns. Uh, According to the DOL, in October of 2021, quote, a principal idea underlying the proposal is that climate change and other ESG factors can be financially material. And when they are, considering them will inevitably lead to better long-term risk-adjusted returns, uh, protecting the retirement savings of American workers, unquote. Uh, Comments to the proposed rules were due on December
2: 13th. So what does this mean for the future of ESG? That
1: is a great question, Ann. Uh, So there is debate in the industry right now about whether ESG should be added to the investment portfolios of DB and or
0: 401k and other DC plans. Yeah, I think what we're going to see in 22 is whether plan sponsors and employers are going to take these changes and actually move forward with adding ESG into their their plans. Right now, there's very little, I think, in DC. It's not very often a portfolio option for self-directed DC plan investments. So it'll be kind of interesting to see if that gets added in um, and then if if it'll be added to more DB plans. Okay, so the next item, and I have to say it's good that we're audio only, so our listeners can't see me duck as I report on this next issue. And also it's good that we're recording virtually because I'm afraid if we were in person, Justin and Ann would throw paper clips at me as I utter these next words, fiduciary rule.
2: (laughs) I'm throwing paper clips at the screen right now, I I don't blame
0: you. So yes, the saga continues. In the ups and downs of the fiduciary or conflict of interest rule, the latest guidance uh, had been Prohibited Transaction Exemption 2020-02, issued about a year ago on December 18th of 2020. It dealt with investment and rollover advice. The guidance aligned with the Security and Exchange Commission's Regulation Best Interest. In February of 2021, the EBSA under the Biden administration announced that the guidance would go into effect as planned in February, but that enforcement would be delayed until December 20th of 2021. On October 25th, EBSA announced enforcement would be further delayed until January 31st of 2022 for investment advice and until June 30th, 2022, for rollover documentation and disclosure requirements. Now, experts are predicting that a new fiduciary rule is in the offing based on several things. Uh, There were comments made from Biden officials, and it was included in the DOL's spring regulatory agenda as coming out as a notice of proposed rulemaking. Also, Lisa Gomez, President Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary of Labor for EBSA, reportedly discussed during her Senate confirmation hearings that she would work with the SEC to take another look at the conflict of interest rule.
2: Okay, well, so the saga continues. I was kind of curious about that as well. So good to know. We'll keep watching that. Let's switch to the healthcare side. At the end of 2020, President Trump signed the Consolidated Appropriations Act, or CAA, which contained the No Surprises Act, and this was the surprise medical billing legislation aimed to protect consumers. Under the new law, beginning January 1st, 2022, health plans and providers, which includes hospitals, facilities, individual practitioners, and air ambulance providers, they are prohibited from billing patients more than in-network cost-sharing amounts in certain circumstances or balance billing. So this prohibition applies to both emergency care and certain non-emergency situations where patients do not have the ability to choose in-network provider. So an example, good example is an anesthesiologist. Government guidance throughout the year included an executive order in July, an interim final rule in July, a proposed rule in September, another interim final rule published October 7th, and then a proposed rule providing for a federal independent dispute resolution process. And this was also published on October 7th. Comments on the latter two pieces of regulatory guidance were due December 6th. While certain groups support the direction taken in the regulatory guidance, other groups do not. For example, on December 9th, the American Medical Association and the American Hospital Association, along with a handful of other plaintiffs, filed a lawsuit with the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia against the agencies, HHS, DOL, Treasury, and OPM, seeking a delay and arguing that the arbitration provisions of the guidance will harm medical providers and unfairly favor insurers. It will be really interesting, like a lot of these, just to see how this will all unfold and to see if the January 1st date will stick.
0: So my take on all of this that we've talked about, lots of uncertainty surrounding all of these watch list items.
2: Yes, it's been a constant refrain for many of the years recently. I don't know about
1: anyone else, but I am exhausted, but we made it through, everyone. Thank you all for listening.
2: Yes, we love our listeners, like Jennifer Johnson, who reached out to say she loved our recent JARPerty episode where we featured ARPA information. Thank you so much, Jennifer. We love you, too. We so appreciate you listening.
1: And we love to hear from all you as well. Uh, Drop us a line at podcast at ifebp.org.
2: Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Was that 50 minutes? Did we just talk about benefits updates for 50 minutes for our 50th episode? Well, that would be appropriate. It'd be amazing. If
0: you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all the International Foundation has to offer at ifebp.org. Our show is hosted by Justin Held, Ann Patterson, and me, Julie Stick. Produced by Rose Pleba and Stacey Van Alstein, and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2021 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, all rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel.
3: Justin, I'm going to need you to just say pecuniary three times fast.
1: (laughs) pecuniary pecuniary it's a it's a money word too it's a finance word i should know it it doesn't come up in conversation with uh, my two-year-old and my (gasps) six-week-old
0: what's wrong with you you should be talking to them about these things we're we're way behind on the
2: developments already it would be a good party trick for them
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've got a good party trick well okay maybe it's not a great party trick it's probably pretty lame (laughs) When I was in eighth grade, I had to memorize a list of 50 prepositions. And I still remember it. Now <laughs> we want to know. Aboard about, above, across, after, against, along, made, among, around, at, before, behind, below, beneath, beside, between, beyond, but, by, down, during, except, for, from, in, and to, like, near, of, off, on, over, past, sense, through, throughout, to, toward, under, underneath, with, within, without. <sighs> wow. Oh <my> gosh. <laughs> this has served me no... Nothing in adulthood. <laughs> Isn't the,
2: except yes. I was impressed just now.
3: I'm <laughs> that's, impressed. The, that's the Easter egg Actually,
2: for the episode. Yeah.
1: <laughs>